back. We appreciate you joining us, Jim, along with the Buckeye Boy from the Bozarth Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios. Most trusted name in automobiles. According to the Denver Post, Broncos have interviewed, interviewed Matt Patricia for the defensive coordinator job. You want him? Rex Ryan? Fans Joseph? Sean Desay? Chris Richard? We'll have uh, Cody Rourke from My Life Sports Radio with us tomorrow morning at 8.20. Get his thoughts. Have him break it down for us. Richard was there in Seattle. That was a really good defense. Of course, he also had a lot of really good talent. Legion of Boom. Young guy, early 40s. But a guy that's been a D.C. and a D.C. of a team that won a Super Bowl. So we want your, your thoughts on that today. Also, Eric Goodman. Sports media, you know, media guy over in Denver. He's done TV in Denver. He's been on the radio in Denver. Criticizing Sean Payton for um, not telling us who's been hired for the appearance that it's taking him too long to hire a staff. And and Sean Payton's clapped back on it with a, <laughs> with a great tweet. Goodman, the story broke about Sean Payton becoming the Broncos head coach 24 days ago. Right now, six coaches on his staff, including himself, and has 12 more to fill, including everyone on defense. Please don't tell me, don't sell me a pile of garbage. Don't sell me a pile of garbage. He's taking his time. This is embarrassing. And Peyton goes, 16 with five to go. We'll fill you in when we're ready. So he's saying, Peyton is, we've got 16 guys on our staff already. We just haven't told you who everybody is. One of them could be Kerry Colbert. I guess fair to say, Broncos receiver, cup of coffee? How long is a cup of coffee? Is it more than two games? Because uh, that's well, like a sip. That's like a sip of coffee. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. But Kerry Colbert one time, Carolina Panther. Mm-hmm. It's been on Alabama staff, USC, Florida recently. That according to Pro Football Talk, that Kerry Colbert will be the Broncos' new wide receivers coach. Zach Kazani departing. He is uh, now with the Jets and Nathaniel Hackett on that staff or Robert Sala. And so we have the report that Kerry Colbert will be the Broncos wide receivers coach. First time as a wide receivers coach in the NFL. Most of his work has been at the college level. Is Goodman right or is it just settle down? Come on, champ. Settle down. Sean Payton, according to his tweet, he's got a lot of guys already hired. Yeah. He just hasn't told you who they've hired yet. Does he have to do that? I don't think so. No, he doesn't know Eric Goodman or anybody. No. You know. Broncos, Sarge, I thought the Sean Payton response was worth looking at. I think the Broncos' secrecy during this whole hiring process has been unlike any other coaching coaching search I can remember. They have kept a very tight lid on it, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Larry from Clifton, we were talking about the XFL. I am personally burned out on football. Okay, I get sorry. that. Yeah. yeah, I understand that. I think that's that's understandable. I think there's a lot of people like that. The ratings for week one of the XFL might lead you to believe that. Maybe it is too soon, a week after the Super Bowl, for, for the league to start. Maybe The Rock and his ex-wife over and folks at ESPN overestimating the appetite for football right after the Super Bowl. 
that maybe you need a little bit of a breathing period to kind of let, you know, okay, let the NFL season kind of come to a close, have people start missing it a little bit, right? Missing football, mm-hmm. even if it's not NFL football. I, I just really wonder if you're going to see the XFL and USFL be able to to survive more than a season. If they're going to find that to be too much of a challenge. Well, so far, the USFL hasn't beat because this is going to be year two mm. coming up of real football. Absolutely. And we can only wonder what would have happened because the XFL numbers were good in the, the mm-hmm. 2.0 version. The ratings were good. The football was good. It wasn't NFL good, but it was pretty good. They survived the AAAFA or whatever it is. The Alliance of American Football, yeah. Association of America. Which lasted eight weeks. Yeah. They were going to do much better than them. And the fact that there was even a market to bring it back this time around, right? Like, they had 12,000 at three places and 24 in San Antonio. For spring, essentially minor league football, those aren't bad That's pretty good numbers. numbers. No. I just don't know if you're going to see both be able to survive. And, I don't see how. And does it come down to a case where at some point, like we talked about the Canadian Football League, there were the talks that the Rock had with the owner of the Toronto Argonauts mm-hmm. about trying to get the XFL involved with the CFL, a chance for the CFL to return to the States, which they, they gave up on the, the brief period of time they were in the States, with the Baltimore Stallions, that mm-hmm. they're the first and only American-based Canadian Football League champion, Grey Cup champion. And so there was some talk, and it never really went anywhere. The CFL seemed disinterested. Could there be some kind of relationship that forms between Fox and The Rock and the XFL that, that somehow they, they merge these two leagues? Could that work? I think they should keep that route open. The USFL has seemingly slammed the door already with the Hollywood reboot. Real football begins in April. But we know how that stuff works. We know how it's it works. tough talk but now, but then when rubber meets road and survival's there or the chance and an opportunity to expand. It'll be more interesting if the USFL starts to fail, which they're still not playing in home sites. And only three of their eight teams are playing in really what could be considered home markets. Whereas at least the XFL is playing They're cultivating a fan base. Games. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'd be interesting to find out, I'd be interested to watch if the USFL numbers don't get any better this year, or if they start to get worse, how much of this real football talk continues, and how much of it is, you know, together we're stronger than if we're separate. Like the Captain Planet rings or whatever. Absolutely. Right? Like, together, we can survive. Wonder Twin powers activate. Yes. And become one league. Because I think there is there is a market for spring football. I really do. I but once again I'm always gonna go back to the thing though that that made the USFL the 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 original version different. They wanted to compete with the NFL. They planned but they wanted to establish their their space. Mm -hmm. Their space was the spring. And they went out and pursued the Steve Youngs, the Herschel Walkers. NFL veteran guys, not not a ton of them, but some, 
like Gary Barbaro that was a safety for the Chiefs, pretty good play ball pro safety for the Chiefs. They went out and they went out and pursued NFL backup quarterbacks, guys like Chuck Fusina, to come in and play in the league, along with college quarterbacks like Doug Flutie, Steve Young, Jim Kelly. It provided when you watched it and it was on ABC ESPN, you didn't feel like I'm watching a developmental league. Mm-hmm. I'm watching a league that maybe isn't doesn't want to be the NFL. They want to be their own professional entity playing in the spring. That they've carved out a spot for football in the yeah. spring. And it's it's it is going to compete. Kind of like kind of like how we view the CFL. Mm-hmm. We don't view the CFL as being the NFL, but you don't immediately like with the Canadian Football League go. I mean, it gets Canadian football, and some of you guys are going to crap on it, and that's fine. But there's those, almost this feeling like the CFL isn't like three tiers below the NFL. It's treated in a different in a different in a different way. No, and that there's, there's that there's it's a professional league where guys are willing to go there, mm-hmm. commit to careers in that league, and have success, and they build a fan base because it's not. It's not perceived as, hey, we're just here to develop guys to send them down south of the border to go play in the NFL. And so those guys do, but a lot don't. And and for me, I do use the CFL kind of as, you know, a lot of these guys couldn't hack into the NFL, and which, that's okay, which is fine. Not everybody can, nor should everybody be able to hack it in the NFL. I just think you're not going to the U.S. the the CFL is different because it's established and it's been around forever. It's not really in a threat of going anywhere. The other two, the USFL, the XFL, even the AAF or whatever comes up in the future, unless your owners end with Jobs, Gates, Buffett, Musk, you know, those type of names. Uh, Cuban. Cuban. Uh, Jobs is dead. Uh, the uh, the Amazon guy. I forget his Bezos. name right now. Bezos, thank you. Um, if you're don't have billions of dollars of backing nobody's going to choose that's what the old usfl had about it too is they, they had guys they that had, had guys some money. that picked that league over the nfl whether it be because they felt like they could play more there maybe like a warren moon or steve young they could play their style more for whatever the reason they still picked that league over the king on the block and now the NFL salaries are so far out of the atmosphere right. for these other leagues that if an NFL team comes calling, you're answering. Like, there's talk that's floating around on Twitter this morning. Like, well, if age is not a number, if there's no such thing as being too old to be a defensive coordinator for the Broncos, why don't you just call Wade Phillips again? Sure. And he would leave the XFL in a heartbeat, people are saying, if the Broncos call. I don't know how true that is. Because I think Wade kind of was getting into being retired, and I think XFL head coach is kind of one foot in, one foot out a little it's bit. A, it's a shorter season. It's ten games. It's you know, but I, I people are going to go running to the NFL if the NFL calls. It wasn't necessarily that way forty years ago, and unless there's significant, massive backing to make salaries, even you know upper six figures for stars of the USFL or XFL. This is always going to be a league, both of them, leagues of guys that just couldn't hack it. Who's the guy, the Perez quarterback, 
Who's Louis, been yeah, XFL, Louis USFL. Called call his game when the Mavericks lost to uh, Texas A&M yeah. Commerce. And AAF. Yeah. He's he's a minor league journeyman quarterback. And but, it showed. But I think there's there's the part of its perception is everything. And you can know what the reality is. We can all look at minor league. But if you, you, you have to at some point present this as we're our own professional league. Because you keep hearing, even with, with The Rock, about we're trying to provide opportunity for guys to go play in, in, the, in the NFL. Here, but also in the NFL. It, it's, a, it's a difficult relationship to have because in some ways you need the NFL to survive potentially. But are you willing and are you going to get people to show up to watch minor league football? I don't think we can, we'll ever see the USFL, the original version, again. I, I just we're, we're not going to see it because I don't think you're going to see the Bezos, no. the Cubans, the, those they're guys. They're looking to get into NFL teams. Right. They want to buy an NFL team. But there also might come a point where for some guys that that, that price tag might be too high. Mm-hmm. And you could probably own the XFL. Oh, yeah, easily. Twice over. Own both leagues before you can get an NFL team. Absolutely. And for some guys, they may feel like this is an, an opportunity to be part of something new and different, like the the original USFL was. And for guys that are maybe NFL backups, like, I can go play in this league. I can start. I can't start in the NFL. I can start in this league. I can make money that's comparable to what I was making before, and I get the chance to play. And I, I just want that opportunity. And maybe I parlay that into a return to the NFL. Or maybe this is just a really good place for me to be, and I can be a star in my own right playing in a spring league. It's going to have the challenge of being present, being perceived as minor league, and that's a problem long-term. It's also a problem when it's owned by one group. Mm-hmm. The one There's the things no that it, salary competition. One of, the, one, of the, one of the things that the MLS did early on that they had to do was it was centrally owned, like the XFL. Shoots, right? Owned yeah. Like 17. Like the XFL is owned by The Rock and his ex-wife mm-hmm. and Redbird, Redbird Capital. You've got to do that early yeah. on. But at some point, you've got to be willing to, to sell ownerships, whether it's the USFL, whether it's the XFL, for it to for it to last long term. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to do that. But I mean, you had guys like Bill Daniels from here in Colorado, owned the Express for a while, a lot of money there. Alfred Tobman had a lot of money. Eddie DeBartolo yeah. of Niners fame. He owned the Pittsburgh franchise. John Bassett had a lot of money. I mean, you had a lot of different people early on that that had some money to spend. Former President Trump owned the Generals. There, there are people that had money at that time that were involved. and And so... That you know, to me, you have to. You, there has to be a situation where you need independent ownership. You know, also owned a team back in the day. No, owns an NFL team now. Rob Walton, Stephen Ross. Oh, nice. Ross owned the Philadelphia Stars back in the day. Of course, now owns the, the Miami Dolphins. All right, nine sixteen, and uh, just just some random. XFL, USFL talk on a on a Thursday morning. Text or call is 
it's uh, it's time to bring you some of these interviews from last night because we had a very busy night in high school basketball last night with Fruitland Monument in action against uh, Boulder Fairview in the 6A tournament. Wildcats get the victory last night to move on to the Sweet 16 of the 6A tournament. Last night, Austin Reed, who was our uh, Scotty's Complete Car Care Center Athlete of the Week, joined us last hour, hit the buzzer beater shot. The Wildcats beat Fairview by the score of 60-58 to to move on. And after the game, Greg Winslow had the chance to talk with Wildcats coach Jake Higuera. Talking with Jake Higuera, head coach at Fruita Monument High School. Coach, this was a back-and-forth affair every second of the way. And every time it looked like they were going to pull away, you guys came up with an answer. Yeah, yeah, it kind of went that way, kind of both. And any time, I think we only had the lead once, but it seemed like every time they were, seemed like they were going to pull away. We battled back. Um, it was great. I mean, that was a great game. I'm, I don't even know what to say, honestly. It was a great effort by our boys. That's a great team over there, great scoring team. Um, it was good for our boys to finish out like that. I, I'm just so overwhelmed right now. Yeah, and you got to be impressed. You come down, you got about a minute and a half left, and you guys go into a stall. You don't commit any turnovers. You get it to set up, and you get the last second shot. Yeah, you know, we actually, that happened to us up in Durango. We didn't handle the ball. We were up by a lot. We didn't handle it well. And we worked that yesterday, and we, we really took it serious, and the boys took it serious to have the ball and to keep it in case we come into a game like this. For them to do it, to handle it, to be strong with the ball, and then to run a play. That wasn't even the play. I know. Just so you know, we don't get any credit. That was our boys improvising and, and running and playing basketball together. So that was that was awesome. Yeah, and talk about that last play. I mean he you know, improvised like you said, and then found a lane. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're going to Daniel and I think everyone knows we're looking at Daniel there. And for us to rip the ball through, Austin get it, knowing exactly how much time he has to get to the rim. And that finish was about as scary as it could be. But he went up there, finished it, and you know I couldn't be happier for those guys. And the atmosphere that last three minutes of the ball game, you can't ask for a better high school atmosphere. You can't. Student section's great. Our, our fans, our parents were great. It was uh, everything you wanted for a home playoff game. So I'm glad we could come out on top for, for our fans. I don't know, from in here, it sounded like you could hear it from here to Palisade. Uh, yeah, I hope so, man. That was so much fun. Hopefully we can go, we can keep this thing rolling. I know we got a tough one coming up, but, uh, you know, hey, we're still alive, so what a great day. Yeah. Does that kind of adrenaline on the bench, does that take you back to your playing days a little bit? You know, this is the closest thing we get to it. So I always tell the boys, the only difference is I have absolutely no control on what happens. But this is the only thing in the world that'll get you going like when you played. So, I mean, I'm so blessed to get to do this job and coach these boys. So, I mean, what a game. So you get to enjoy it tonight, back to work tomorrow to get ready for another game. Yep, yep. And, hey, we're happy about that. We're very excited that we yesterday wasn't our last practice. This wasn't our last game. We get to survive and advance with our boys that's all we want to do is spend as much time with these guys as we can well thank you very much i appreciate your time and good luck on saturday thank you sir all right thank you very much all right that's jake Aguirre with greg wenzel the uh, wildcats await the winner of tonight's game between smoky hill and rocky mountain they tip it at seven o'clock at aurora uh, for that one tonight rocky mountain wins the wildcats will be at home if smoky hill wins the Wildcats will be on the road this Saturday. There was also the 5A state basketball tournament that started last night for the boys. Central hosting Palmer. 
But unfortunately for the Warriors, they could not hold a 13-point lead in the fourth quarter. They lose 67-65. Cam Renning led Central with 15 points last night after the game. Rio had the chance to talk with with the Warriors head coach, John Sedanich. The Warriors fall by a score of 67-62. Coach, you had a big lead there at the end of the third quarter, and they went on a run, and it wasn't with their best player, Jameer Satchel, but Jackson Weber kind of spurred them there in the fourth quarter. Yeah, you got to make free throws. I, it's been our nemesis all year, and it just caught up to us. I, when you got to play defense every time and you don't score, it's hard. You got a big moment. You got a couple of big points there from uh, Braylon Scott in what turned out to be his final game. Santana Martinez also got hurt late in the first half. He came in, came back in the second half, was kind of a man on fire there early on in the third quarter. Talk about, you know, they they went out with some fight, some of your seniors here tonight. Yeah, it's hard. Um, Literally almost a fight, actually. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we got a bunch of competitors, and um, they'll look back on this and realize that there were some missed opportunities tonight. You got some young guys. I know next year's kind of a, a ways off yet, but you got some young guys that stepped up for you tonight as well. You have Amari Thomas had a couple of big buckets. Jackson Amos, uh, Carson Kidd plays quite a bit for you, and of course Cameron Redding, who looks to be that that senior leader you're going to rely on a lot next year. And a couple of early thoughts on the on the group you're you're going to have next year, looking to get back into the 5A postseason. Yeah, you know our. Um seniors this year have really um, just kind of set the just the mold of how you work in practice and um, how you know how you want to compete and um, I, I think hopefully that'll rub off on our um, rub off on our young guys and um, you know we have some great freshmen coming up and and uh, uh, some incoming ninth graders that um, are going to step into the fire next year, too. And for the seniors you send off to graduation, Christian Miller, Andrew Serrano, Santana Martinez, Braylon Scott, and Benton Calabri didn't play at all tonight, but uh, he's been on the team with you, been part of this grind, this team four years ago. Well, it, was, it was pretty decent, but you guys have been building something here, and they won't be on the court to, to see it get completed, but they have laid some tremendous building blocks for you here at Central. Yeah, uh, you know, we hope this is just the start of uh, some good things over the next few years. And, um, you know, this hurts. Uh, um, appreciate you talking to me. I know it's always it's always bittersweet after this. But, yeah, it, it, it's been such a great year, and uh, it's hard to, you know, this will hurt for a few days. But we'll look back, and these guys have accomplished some things that um, at Central that haven't been done in a while. Coach, thanks a lot for stopping by. We know it's hard to, to talk about a loss immediately after. We'll go let you spend a few moments with your team. No, I appreciate it. Thank Head you, coach guys. Coach John Sedanich of the Central Warriors joining us here courtside as the Warriors fall 67-65. Rio Van Gilder, the Buckeye boy, talking with John Sedanich after last night's game. That, But for John and, and Central, I feel, mm-hmm. feel bad for them. That was opportunity to move on to the next round. You had it right there, right? You kind of sensed it. 13, yeah. A 13-point 13 lead in the fourth quarter. Opportunities with, what, under 10 seconds to Yeah, to they had three that cracks game. at it with 10 seconds. They took a timeout. Then they had, you know, three shots at it, including a corner three that would have given them the win and a couple of putback attempts. They just 
story of the last five minutes of the game really couldn't hit a shot from the floor. They only had, I believe, two field goals in the fourth quarter total. So also last night in the uh, 5A state tournament, Montrose boys, they uh, lost at home to Harrison 47-32. Caleb Ferguson had 16 in the loss, but still uh, an outstanding season for the Montrose boys. The uh, Delta Panther boys lost in the 4A tournament at Kent Denver 96-41 to last night. All right, so as of right now, here's what it looks like. We talked with Kyle Crowder last hour, Delta Panther girls basketball coach. They have severance tomorrow night, and we'll have that over on the monkey 95.7 here in the Valley and 97.1 in Delta. Pre-game at 545, tip at 6 o'clock as Mark Cantor will bring that one to you tomorrow night over on the Monkey. And then we're w- working to put things together for Fruit of Monument at Doherty tomorrow night. It'll be here on the team at 6 o'clock. And then we don't know about the Fruit of Boys yet because we still have to wait for the Rocky Mountain-Smoky Hill game tonight. And if Rocky Mountain wins, Wildcats will be here Saturday playing on their home floor if Smoky Hill wins and they are the higher seed, they're the fifth seed, Smoky Hill would host the Wildcats on Saturday, and our plan is that we'll have that game for you. Regardless, we'll have the Fruit of Boys as of right now, either way, either here or over on the front range coming up on Saturday. And we're still, like I said, trying to work through some details in regard to the uh, the Fruit of Monument girls game at Doherty tomorrow night. But uh, both those games will be on the Team Sports Network and don't forget, tonight we'll have Colorado Mesa basketball, Maverick basketball teams at Western. Ethan Jordan will have those ones for you tonight from Gunnison with women's pregame at 515. They'll tip it at 530 men at 730 tonight. All right, 926 coming up in a few minutes. We'll go in the garage and ask our Fred, brought to you by Montrose Ford Nissan, the Daytona 500 in the books, and the season is underway. We'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. We'll take a break and come back with more on the Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. I'm a big sports addict. I like sports. 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 This is the Jim Davis Show on the team. 101 FM, 1340 AM, Grand Junction. 102.1 FM, Delta Montrose. Welcome back in 929. Jim along with the Buckeye Boy. Mentioned earlier the pro football talk reporting that uh, Kerry Colbert is leaving the Florida coaching staff to join the Broncos as their wide receivers coach. Uh, also confirmation from The Athletic as well that uh, Colbert, who was on Billy Napier's inaugural staff at Florida uh, after he was at uh, USC as alma mater for six years. So he leaves in the middle of a two-year contract that was paying about $500,000 a year. He becomes the third Gators assistant to leave for the NFL within 36 hours after defensive coordinator Patrick Tony and tight ends coach William Pegler opted to leave the Gators to go to the Arizona Cardinals staff. So with Kerry Colbert, who played two games for the Broncos, mm-hmm. best years were really with, with the Carolina Panthers, that Colbert you know, was, was at USC. Um, he he was, you know, didn't really, he was, I guess, involved in recruiting at USC. He didn't do a particularly good job with that, but at Florida, he did have an impact in recruiting with Aiden Mizell, Eugene Wilson, and Andy Lean were all in-state four-star guys that, that joined the team because of, of Kerry Colbert. And so Colbert, in, in regard to Florida, what that means to Florida, they lose a guy that's brought in some talent in, in recent years for them. What does it mean for the Broncos for Kerry Colbert to come in? He's a guy that has never coached in the NFL. 
And he's going to be in charge of the wide receivers for the Broncos. He did spend eight seasons in the league as a receiver. The six-month stint with the Broncos before he got dealt to Seattle. Are you surprised that Sean Payton would bring in somebody that doesn't really have doesn't really have doesn't really have NFL experience as a receivers coach? Hasn't coached in the league. I'm I'm not surprised about this, right? This isn't Jeff Saturday type no experience. I mean, he has been a wide receivers coach and it is At the, the college SEC, level, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and the recruiting, I don't know how to take that. I don't know what type of that has no impact on the Broncos with just right. but how does it affect Florida? But He's I, had some success there. I in have that no idea what it speaks to about his relationship with receivers when the University of Florida got all these in state kids, right? It's well you should, right? You're, you you're the University of Florida. Yeah. You know, you have a good chance with all the football players that play there in high school that some of them want to play at Florida. And if you knock on their door, they're coming. So I don't know what that is, but I mean, he has some experience in the NFL. He played the position and at some point, everybody had no NFL experience to install him as offensive coordinator or head coach. I have a problem with that as a wide receivers coach. I don't really know. We're on the same page on this. I'm just, I'm just throwing it yeah. out there, saying okay. He has because no he, coaching experience in the NFL. Yeah, but his head coach has been in the NFL since the '90s. The offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, any of them that they hire, it's probably gonna be a guy with experience. Yeah, you know, offensive coordinator probably gonna be a guy with experience. Some of his other position coaches, maybe he gets a guy that, you know, is just fine being an assistant receivers coach in the NFL, but has done it for. 10 years that can kind of show them the ropes. Maybe there's that too. I mean, at some point, everybody is a, this is the first year they've ever coached in the NFL. Got to start somewhere. You know, and being a position coach is usually where most of them start. They were position coaches in college and then they move up. You kind of, if you're going to move into the NFL, it's always to a lateral position. Usually you don't get a college offensive coordinator being a head coach in the NFL. They usually take that step up, and then they're a head coach in the NFL. So I don't think that's that's a nothing burger Yeah, because there will be people that are going to say that. Oh, well, absolutely. Why did the guy have some experience? Why didn't they try to keep Zach Azani? Because Zach Azani, I think, saw the writing on the wall that he had survived three other coaching changes, and that he probably wasn't going to survive another well, and one. Well, if you're going to take this long, why are you hiring a guy from college with no yeah, experience? No kidding. Why don't you, why don't you, right. Yeah, exactly. This is why embarrassing. Why don't you at least get Jerry Rice? Yeah. He was a former Bronco, you know. About as much as Kerry Colbert. Uh, less than less than Kerry Colbert. <laughs> That's true. Kerry Colbert played in regular season games. Played in two games. That was the fewest amount of games he played for any of the three teams he played for that season. It was two. Played for Detroit and Seattle also that year. We've got one final thing here. Going back to the whole Pac-12 streaming thing for just a moment. I know we spent a lot of time on it today, but it, it kind of popped up when we were talking with uh, Mark Johnson, the mm-hmm. 7 o'clock hour on The Athletic today. Uh, Stuart Mandel's got his mailbag, which I always enjoy reading, particularly yeah. if you're a college football fan, that he was asked about the Pac-12 going after San Diego State and SMU. And his response is pretty much, 
neither seems like a no-brainer value add. The fact the Big 12 already snapped up the four most attractive group of five independent options when they added BYU, Cincinnati, Central Florida, and Houston. And he gets it that, look, San Diego State kind of addresses a little bit of the TV market void in Southern California that's going to be there when USC and UCLA leave to go to the Big 10. Because let's, let's not kid ourselves, though. Well, the Aztecs, that's a nice little program. they got a really good basketball team right mm-hmm. now. Tr- traditionally, do their football team's been, Cute been pretty sparky. good. Cute, cute little thing. They're not the Trojans. They're not the Bruins. He says, I get the Pac-12 wanting to get into Texas because of the central time zone situation. SMU's been somewhat successful in, in, in revenue sports. But since joining the American in 2013, the Mustangs have had as many losing seasons as winning ones. So you're, you're basically getting them for the TV market, which they're not even really in the Dallas TV market. They're not really that big of a factor. Not really, no. And so he feels like if the report is true, the New York Post reported yesterday, actually Tuesday, excuse me, that Apple is a possible landing spot. Not the first time that name has popped up in conversations with the Pac-12. That there's logic in simply adding more inventory in football and basketball. But the economics have to work. And so they're going to get a lower share, probably San Diego State and SMU, than the other schools in the Pac-12. So That's now, a big thing, too. Yeah, so now, I mean, where where does this go? Can the Pac-12 keep... Because if they go streaming and they don't get a big linear footprint entity, right? They're, like, they're toast, I think. Washington's gone. Oregon's gone. They're 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 gone. They're out the door. They're gone. I think they'll all be gone. I think all the big names Colorado, worth having. Colorado, Utah will go. Hey, Big Twelve, we'd love to be part of you. Mm-hmm. They're gone. Arizona Arizona schools will be gone. They'll they'll probably go to the the Big Twelve as well. And then there's your next sixteen team super conference. Yeah, right there. And then the four. You know, Pac Northwest Conference, Pac Northwest teams. Yeah, Washington State. Where where would they go? What right. would that look like? You know, would, maybe they land in the when they went land in the Mountain West. If you know, Mountain West just we assume survives and continues maybe, on. Maybe the Mountain West merges with the remnants of the Pac twelve. Maybe with Stanford and Cal also hanging out there. Or do they find a way to maybe just get, get the in, Big Ten West? Get, get an invite to the Big Ten, right? Maybe some. It'll create. It truly will be the Big Ten West. Big Ten West: Washington and State, Oregon and State, Cal, UCLA, Stanford, USC, Arizona, and Arizona State. There you go. UCLA, that's the Big Ten. That's what I said. I threw them in there, didn't I? Okay, I didn't like it. Sorry, I didn't hear it. But that's okay. okay. Washington, Oregon, <laughs> NoCal, SoCal, okay, Arizona, two each. All of those are ten. So that's the Big Ten West. The, there West you have 10. it. Just create their own conference. Again, the West Ten. Like, we don't need CU. That just brings us down. Sorry, Prime. We don't need Utah. That just kind of brings us down a little bit. San Diego State. You just sit down a little sparky. You know, Boise State. I don't think Utah, is a, Utah wouldn't bring them down. Utah's. They feel that way, and you know they do. Yeah. I'm going yeah, purely. Huh? I'm going purely. On their level of success, particularly in football. 
I, you know, you'd U- think Utah the, would still have value to the somebody. The Big Ten move would be a slam dunk for UCLA and USC based on that metric alone. And there were people like, well, no, no, we got to look at this. Why? $100 million. Look at that. No, no, we got to we gotta look at the system-wide ramifications of such a – come on now. It doesn't – UC Riverside has no care <laughs> that UCLA is playing football in the Big Ten. They and don't. if they had a side, they would say, go do it, because UCLA's money is system money. If Klevikov doesn't play this right, he will accomplish the thing that Larry Scott did not intentionally try to do. That we know but of. But he started, though, and that's kill the Pac-12. When they decided not to partner with a TV entity like Fox or ESPN for the Pac-12 network, that that was a that was absolutely stupid on their part. Yeah, he will kill it dead if he doesn't get. Klevikov will finish what he'll he will old yeller the Pac-12. Pac-12 is limping along right now. He will be the guy that takes the Pac-12 out to the grassy field. Look at the flowers. Just look at the flowers and think good thoughts, and he'll he'll finish the Pac-12. It's not even that. He's just going to chuck him out the side of a highway, <laughs> and he won't mean like, to. Go. And he won't he won't mean he wants to he wants it to live. Yeah. But he'll end up killing it. He's going to hold it too tightly, and, and he may not. And he may set. not be able to save it. He may be well out of his reach to do it, because he may not get a TV network that's interested in picking them up. Well, CW's got, CW's got live. CW's got live, right? That's true. There you go. <laughs> there, see, there are options. Yeah. MTV, MTV two, sure. I don't play music anymore. Why not? Why not Pac-12 sports? There's my old man moment. I'm with you on that. I can't remember the last time I watched MTV. It's been 20, probably 20 plus years the last time I watched MTV. I think Kurt Loder was following in the opening (laughs) to Feast Cells last time I watched it. I miss Headbangers Ball. I miss 120 minutes. I I miss all that stuff. Headbangers Ball was awesome. It was fantastic. 941. Ricky Ratchet? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Saw was him. It, was it Penfield on there like at the end? Yeah, Matt Penfield. Uh, I know Ricky Ratchet's doing a lot of uh, celebrity hosting with metal festivals now. Oh, cool. Good for him. Everybody Danny needs a Wimmer gig. Circuit. Everybody needs a job. Yeah, might as well. And that dude, for a lot of people, a lot of those bands coming up now, was the guy that they grew up watching. They, they love that guy. All right. Time for this day in sports history. That's the story of the greatest sport moment in all of history. It's time to take a trip back in time. It's this day in sports history. All right, we start things out on this day in sports history. If I can get my computer to cooperate. There we go. 1938, Joe Lewis knocks out Nathan Mann in the third round to defend his world heavyweight title at Madison Square Garden. 1968, Will Chamberlain becomes the first player to score 25,000 points in the NBA. Points? Oh, okay. So many scoring records were yet to fall for Wilt. Yeah, not the only 21,000 mark we got. <laughs> 1985, Indiana coach Bobby Knight is ejected five minutes into the Hoosiers' 72-63 loss to Purdue when he throws a chair across the court. Knight, after two fouls called on his team, is hit with his first technical while Purdue was shooting the technical. Knight picks up a chair from the bench and throws it across the court, earning him his second technical foul. It's nice foul. that he eventually grew up, though, and grew out of those tantrums. That's right. Good to see that he matured. Yeah, exactly. 
Also, uh, 1991, North Carolina becomes the first team in NCAA basketball history to win 1,500 games with a 73-57 win over Clemson. And 2007, Tiger Woods' winning streak in the PGA Tour, which began in July, comes to a shocking end. Woods fails to notice a ball mark in the line of his four-foot birdie putt that would have won his third-round match against Nick O'Hearn. Wood misses, then loses in 20 holes, and O'Hearn saves par with a 12-foot putt at the Accentra Match Play Championship. Mm. All right, coming up next, it's time to go in the garage of NASCAR Fred. Brought to you by Montrose Ford Nissan on the Team Sports Network. Yeah, I think they're like the best on the radio. At least at the pro level, the best of the best. The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader, the Team. Now, to anyone out there who wants to go fast, anybody. I want to go fast. We got the oval, and we're going to drive straight, and then we're going to be turning to the left. Green flag, you're ready to go in the air. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's go racing, boys. Time to go in the garage with NASCAR Fred, brought to you by Montrose Ford Nissan. Not just a better deal, a better dealership. Pricing information at MontroseFordNissan.com from the great state of Iowa. He's our NASCAR guru, NASCAR Fred. Good morning, Fred. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I was feeling like a genius with about three laps to go in that race because I picked Brad Keselowski to win. And Hey, look at that. There's Keselowski and Busher out front leading them. And, of course, it being Daytona, things looked uh, completely different when the <laughs> checkered flag finally came absolutely as ricky stenhouse jr uh won the, the daytona 500 and um you know with that uh stenhouse's win is the third of his uh, cup career and ends a 199 race winless streak that's lasted over five years so if you put money on ricky stenhouse jr you made out like a bandit this last weekend if you're going to put money on Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Daytona or Talladega would be the place to do it because, like you said, he's got three wins in the Cup Series, and they're all at either Daytona or Talladega. It's funny. He's really been, you'd have to call him an underachiever um, in terms of his Cup career. He came in with high hopes. He won back-to-back Xfinity championships in 2011, 2012, and then ever since he went into Cup in 2013, he just hasn't hasn't really uh, delivered the goods. Like you said, only, only three wins in in his 11th season now. But, uh, I mean, that's a sign of, of better things to come for him this year. He was a 2013 Cup Rookie of the Year. Got let go by RFK Racing after just two wins in seven seasons. So you're right. He's a guy that, that has really underperformed. But Sunday got got some bonus racing, went to overtime, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. delivering the biggest win of his career. Yeah, and, uh, you know, like they always say, well, once you win that, you're a Daytona 500 winner for the rest of your life. So, uh, you know, that's, that's cool. There, there's guys, well, Brad Keselowski, who I picked to win. He's finished second in the 500. He's never won it. Uh, Tony Stewart never won it. Kyle Busch has never won it. You know, but a lot of guys who have basically everything else on their resumes have, have not won the 500. So, uh, so yeah, that's a, a big deal. I'm looking at the top ten. No real surprises except for 10th place. Uh, Riley Herbst may not be familiar with that name. He's been doing pretty well in the Xfinity series. He drives for Stuart Haas. He was uh, driving for, uh, I believe, Rick Ware Racing in this one, but uh, ended up with a tenth place finish. That's that's what can happen when you just, you know, stay out of trouble at Daytona. In the garage of NASCAR, Fred, brought to you by Montrose Ford Nissan. Now, just a better deal, a better dealership pricing information at MontroseFordNissan.com. Uh, Daniel Suarez, his spin with about two laps to go. It set up that first overtime, and so if uh, Suarez doesn't do that, maybe the outcome's a little different this last weekend. Although it still would have gotten crazy on the last 
lap or two. You just know that it's going to because guys are are biding their time and they're gonna you know gonna make that la- that move at the last minute when there's not time for for anybody else to come back on you. So uh, you know you just really can't say if you're the the odds are if you're leading with the, you know two or three laps to go you're probably not going to win. <laughs> that's to be honest that's that's just Daytona. We none of us did really well on our picks, did we? In terms of finishing positions, uh, I don't think. I don't think any of our three actually finished, did they, Rio? Uh, no, all three of us are underwater. No, <laughs> we're all in the same boat. May it be it a leaky one, but we're all in the same boat today. <laughs> yep, three DNFs, all with negative one point. Do you want to mention this about uh, the win for Ricky Stenhouse Jr.? Some history made with his his victory because he races for JTG Doherty Racing which is owned by Brad, well, Brad Doherty, the, the NBA greats, one of the, the owners right. of it. Yeah. Hey, nice. And he becomes the yeah. first black car owner to ever win the Daytona 500. So congratulations to Brad Doherty. Didn't know that. That's, uh, like I say, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. So that's that's cool. I, and, and likewise, Ricky Stenhouse. It is just really good. He's, he's such a trooper. I mean, he's in there year after year, and, and it's good to see him get a big win like that. Maybe it'll boost his whole season. Absolutely. It's In the Garage and NASCAR Fred, brought to you by Montrose Ford Nissan. Get pricing information at MontroseFordNissan.com. So, looking at the ratings from uh, the Daytona 500 that uh, you know had a modest decline in ratings and viewership, but uh, still, uh, but unfortunately, still one of the, the least watched ever when it comes to viewership. They had 8.17 million people watching on Fox but uh, the viewership down from last year. So that continues to be a, a troubling thing for NASCAR with, with declining viewership at times. Well, possibly, you know, something that might have something to do with it is that uh, television viewership in general is is declining. Uh, the, the rating was lower, but the share was actually higher. Uh, the number of people who were watching TV, the percentage of those who were watching the Daytona 500, that's actually up this year, but there are just, you know, fewer people watching TV. There's so many other things, you know, all the streaming services and everything that right. people can watch. There just aren't as many people watching TV, so that's why the rating is down. But the, the share was still, it was actually a little bit better this year, so that's that's encouraging. Yeah, that's that's where streaming really impacts the numbers, kind of skews the numbers a little bit in terms of who's, who's watching and who isn't. So we have, coming up this Sunday at uh, 1.30 our time, the Palo Casino 400, uh, the Auto Club Speedway. So uh, that's on Fox TV, by the way. So getting ready for the second weekend at the Palo Casino 400. There's kind of a kind of a sense of history at this race because this is going to be the last race on that two mile track. There, as soon as the race is done, they're going to move in the the bulldozers and the heavy equipment and tear a track out. They're going to convert it to a high banked half mile. Track. That is that is for sure going to happen as soon as this race is over. They're going to go full steam ahead with that. So I I can't wait to see that myself. It's uh, from what they said. It's going to be you know long straightaways like Martinsville, but high bank turns like Bristol. It's it's just going to be nuts. So, uh, but yeah, this this is so this is kind of the end of an era. The, this week's race and um, interesting thing about. about I'm sorry if I make one point about. Uh, of course, it's Fontana, California. We're talking about the Auto Club Speedway there. That Kevin Harvick, who's in his final you know, season of full-time racing in the Cup, grew up 150 miles away from Fontana, Bakersfield, California. So a bit of a uh, a homecoming, his home track, if you will, uh, racing there for the, the final time at Fontana. 
Yeah, I'm sure that's that's in his mind. You know, I I don't know off the top of my head if he's won there before. I think he has, but uh, the the guy I gotta keep in mind though, when I think Fontana, I gotta think Kyle Larson because you know when he first started out, his first four Cup wins were on two mile tracks. That was uh, you know Fontana and uh, and Michigan. So uh, we were talking last week or the week before about how you know Larson had a had an off year last year. Kind of expect him to rebound and see better things from him this year so definitely gonna gonna watch him i just uh, it's it's so it's interesting because it's not like the the two and a half mile track like daytona um it's almost as long but it's just a different kind of racing at the at these two mile tracks and uh you know the, the speeds are high the i don't know a lot of a, a lot of different kinds of strategies and moves and, and and runs and everything that people get with on on this type of the track and some people just, as any track, some people are better at it than others. Any other uh, news you want to bring up this morning before we make our picks? Um, regarding just, there's a couple of rule things for this year. They, uh, they made a rule, by the way, regarding like Ross Chastain and his Hail Melon move that he made at Martinsville. They're, they're going to do a time penalty or a lap penalty if you do that now. So there's, there's no point in taking that risk. Um, they've kind of lessened the penalties for a loose wheel. Um, Stage, the, the, one of the big things is at the road course races, they're not going to have stage breaks anymore. Um, they're, they're still going to award the stage points at those laps, but no, they're just going to keep going. No, no caution flag to break it up. So that, that'll kind of, well, that'll definitely impact the strategy in the road course races. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. All right, time to make our picks since we're all in the same boat. Nobody had a, a driver that finished last week. Nope. Let's go ahead, Fred. Uh, we'll go ahead and start with you. Well, I have to go with the aforementioned Kyle Larson. It's just, you know, he's, he's I, I think he's got his the mojo back. We'll, we'll see for the Sunday for sure, but I think that he is. I think Kyle Larson is going to do it. All right, Buckeye? Well, he took mine, so give me two seconds. <laughs> go ahead with you. Oh, okay, so. Since we, Larson's last year favorite, it was determined we're not allowed to pick the same guy. Yeah, we, we shouldn't do that. No, we should never pick the same guy. That's. That just that's just wrong. It's it's a travesty and a sham and a mockery. It's a travesty sham mockery when we do that. So who's yours? I guess we should we should take turns picking first, then, shouldn't we? I, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, we so Fred's this week. Mm-hmm. All right, I got mine. Okay, we'll go ahead. I'm going to go with Kyle as well, but Kyle Bush, who's won there three times since 2013. And you know he's what? Ten to one right now. Just for the heck of it, homecoming last race there, Kevin Harvick. I'll go with Kevin Harvick. For Sunday's race, which is on Fox, by the way, one thirty, our time. Hey, Fred, always appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jim. All right, do we need to keep track of yeah who gets to pick first? We'll we'll work it in a rotation. We want to make it fair. All right, well that's our show for today. Back with you on tomorrow's program. Cody Rourke will join us. Mile High Sports talk about the Broncos uh, coaching staff search and uh, some of the additions that they've made in the last couple of days, so uh, we'll talk about that with Cody Rourke, and uh, we'll also get you ready for a big basketball weekend in terms of uh, high school postseason for the Fruit of Wanamid basketball teams, and we'll also have uh, Jackson Wilson, River City Sportplex, talking abs hockey, and uh, River City Sportplex events as well coming up on tomorrow's program as well. Cake will join me. Chance to win with Where in the World is Tyler Franson. That's all coming up tomorrow morning, 7 to 10, on the Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. For the Buckeye Boy, I'm Jim. Thanks again for joining us. Jim Rome's next on the Team Sports Network.